back, guys. This is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two Onk Docs. Today's episode, we're going to focus on everything you need to know regarding renal cell carcinoma. So this will include what you need to know regarding risk factors, diagnostic workup, staging, and treatment. And so hopefully this will be a shorter episode and we'll cover all the high yield points. Terrific. To start us off, what are some risk factors for RCC and associated genetic conditions? So Sam and I were just talking about this. We don't really remember having a lot of questions on this, but that being said, it does show up in all the board review videos and QBanks. So I think it's useful to have an overview of this. So generally anyone with a diagnosis of renal cell carcinoma under the age of 46, or if they have bilateral or multifocal disease um, should be referred to a genetic counselor. And then there's a key few genetic conditions that you should remember as well as their associations. So von Hippel-Lindau, which is the VHL gene, is associated with pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors like pheochromocytoma, as well as CNS hemangioblastomas. Hereditary papillary syndrome is associated with the MET mutation. It's often going to present with bilateral renal cell cancers, and you can consider MET inhibitors for these. Um, Bert Hogg, um, is associated with the LFCN gene. It will often present with a chromophobe type RCC. And one of the things they may show up in the vignette is someone will present with a pneumothorax. So these patients have a high risk of lung cysts. And so they may present with pneumothorax and then they'll also have cutaneous lesions. Um, there's the hereditary lyomyo mitosis RCC syndrome, it's such a mouthful. So that's a mutation in the fumarate hydratase gene, and it's associated with, as the name suggests, uterine lyomyomas. And of note, there is a category one indication for a specific treatment uh, for these patients, which is bevacizumab with erlotinib. Um, there's tuberous sclerosis, which you may remember from your USMLEs. So that is linked with the TSC1 and TSC2 mutations. And those patients will have, in addition to renal cell carcinomas, also renal angiomyolipomas, as well as astrocytomas and retinal hamartomas. And then finally, a mutation in succinate dehydrogenase can also increase the risk of RCC. So just think of a lot of metabolic disorders, like the enzymes you see in the Krebs cycle, a lot of these can lead to RCC. Um, One Other mutation that you may see is BAP1, and you may also see this uh, in association with melanoma as well as mesothelioma. Uh, I remember in fellowship, we had a patient with uh, BAP1 that had mesothelioma. That was a very young patient. And then a final pearl for um, a specific type of medullary of renal cell carcinoma, which is medullary renal cell carcinoma, those are associated with sickle cell trait. And there's no standard treatment approach, but generally those are going to be treated with a chemo base, like carboplatin, gemcitabine. Um, and then we'll go over, now that we've done the genetic, we'll go over some of the general um, RCC staging and treatment. Definitely. So like you said, every board review video we watched, all the banks, they really hit home these genetic conditions. And I, I can't recall a question of them, but I definitely had this on my week before cheat sheet to look through them. Um, the Bert Hogg Dubay, definitely the pneumothorax that was pathognomonic in my mind when I was studying tuber sclerosis, um, angiomyolipomas, and then also the harmatomas of the retinal. I had a few things that I would remember about them. Um, Um, But overall, I can't remember them being tested. So if you are unlucky enough that you have one, hopefully you've 
you know, have a few keywords to recall. In the real world, you can always look these up if you have a high suspicion. So how does RCC present and how is it staged? So generally patients can present with either flank pain, hematuria, or your other urinary symptoms, or it can be an incidental finding of a renal mass uh, when a scan is done for other reasons. Um, and the biopsy will reveal a PAX2 positive, PAX8 positive, and then it will have a negative CK7 and CK20. Um, and then in terms of the staging, so just remember T1 are any tumors less than seven centimeters. So for those tumors that are small, less than seven centimeters, a partial nephrectomy is preferred. If they're really small, and I feel like this was a question, like three centimeters or less, you can consider ablative techniques such as cryosurgery or radiofrequency ablation, always known, also known as RFA. Uh, for tumors that are more than seven centimeters, those are T2, T3 extend into the renal vein or perinephric tissues, and T4 extends beyond garrotis fascia. Um, and so it is important to know kind of the size cutoffs to know what treatments may be offered. I love the staging of RCC. I think it's so simplified and it makes sense. So T1 less than seven or equal to seven, T2 greater than seven and T3, four is extending further. Um, so I remember I did know these cutoffs. I do remember the exact question you're talking about with the less than three centimeters, being able to get away without surgery, um, but doing cryosurgery or RFA. So how is localized disease treated? And is there any role for systemic therapy in stages one through three? Yeah, so RCC treatment is more straightforward than maybe other malignancies. So for stage one to three, as we mentioned, generally you're going to do an nephrectomy, or if it's small enough, you're going to do ablative techniques. And there has been a ton of adjuvant trials looking at different regimens after nephrectomy, and most are negative um, for PFS, um, but there was one trial the S-TRAC trial that had a PFS benefit with the addition of sunitinib in the adjuvant setting. But there was no OS benefit and there is some toxicity. So it wasn't considered a category one recommendation. And I don't know if this is going to show up on the boards yet this year or in the years to come, but it's definitely changing the future standard of care. And this is Keynote 564, which is for high-risk localized kidney cancer. Um, you're going to consider adjuvant pembrolizumab for one year. So those are either the stage twos that have high-risk features, such as grade four or sarcomatoid features, or the stage three. Um, or if they are stage four and you have a metastatectomy, you can also consider adjuvant pembro. And actually in the trial, those are the patients that benefited the most. This is good to go over uh, this new keynote trial because when I was studying, when you and I were studying for the boards, it was surgery, no adjuvant therapy, but with this keynote 564, I think it is changing the landscape. So I don't know how many years out the boards will be able to reflect that, but it's something good to know um, so that in clinical practice and in the real world, we know it, but the boards lag a little bit behind in, in the new updates. So for metastatic disease, how do we restratify these patients and what tools exist? Yeah, so it's definitely important to know how to restratify RCC that's metastatic. So we have two tools that we use. We have the MSKCC, which is the Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, MOPSER score. And then we also have the IMDC, which is the International Metastatic RCC Database Consortium. And you just have to know what the risk um, factors are. So 
Um, both of them have some overlapping uh, risk factors, which include need for systemic therapy within one year of diagnosis, um, a low hemoglobin, a high calcium, and a low Karnofsky performance score um, under 70 to 80, depending on the tool used. And then for the MSKCC, you also have an elevated LDH included in the risk criteria. And then for the IMDC, you also have elevated neutrophils and elevated platelets. And so really, if you have zero of these, your favorable risk. So just remember, you know, time from diagnosis to treatment, hemoglobin, calcium performance status. And then if you're using the IMDC, the neutrophil platelet, if you have any one of these that's positive, you're going to be intermediate risk, which is going to change your treatment approach. And then if you have two or more, you're high risk. So it's important to know if you have zero of these favorable risk. And then if you have any of these, you're going to be intermediate or high risk because those are treated differently. Great. What's the role of cytoreductive nephrectomy if someone has metastatic RCC? So the Carmina study looked at this and there was no OS benefit overall, but it can be considered in some subgroups. So the patients um, that can be considered for cytoreductive nephrectomy before um, systemic therapy are those with a good performance status that have a ready, readily resectable primary tumor and minimal metastatic burden. And that will be a decision that you might make at your GU tumor board. And then for oligometastatic disease, um, you can also consider metastatectomy or ablative techniques for those patients. So it is kind of a unique cancer, um, maybe similar to colorectal in some ways where you can actually, you know, potentially cure patients that have metastatic disease. Definitely. Lots of discussions at tumor boards. Um, so I think that that's a real world case by case discussion, not as readily testable on the boards, uh, just because it's not clear cut. So what are the treatment options for favorable risk metastatic RCC? So remember favorable risk had zero of the risk factors that I described from the risk stratification tools. So all of the options for favorable risk are going to include a TKI with an IO. And it's really dealer's choice in terms of which one you're going to pick. There's three listed in the NCCN now that are category one. And the general recommendation that experts have is that they're all fairly similar in terms of efficacy um, and toxicity, but just pick one regimen, know it well, know the toxicities and know how to dose adjust if there is toxicity. So those regimens include exitinib with pembrolizumab, cabozantinib with nivolumab and lenvatinib and pembrolizumab. Some people may even argue to just give single agent TKI for these agents, but I think the standard of care right now is generally going to be a TKI IO combo. So just commit that to memory, favorable risk, IO, TKI, doesn't really matter which one, but those are the drugs you're going to be looking for. Great. So how about the patients who are intermediate or poor risk metastatic RCC? How do we treat them? So it's pretty straightforward. You're going to use the same options as for favorable risk, but you're also going to have the option of ipilimumab with nivolumab. So the double immunotherapy combo based on the checkmate 214. Um, and, you know, the decision on whether to pick um, ipinevo versus an IOTKI will be based on comorbidities, um, how symptomatic the patient is, um, and kind of their priorities. This 
they're never going to give you both options for an intermediate poor risk RCC on the exam, but that's more of a clinical question that you can have. Um, and of note, there used to be a role for IL-2, but there's not really a clear role. So I probably would never pick this answer if it was an answer choice in RCC. Yeah, I IL-2 is wrong. <laughs> and I am not a kidney cancer doctor. So what are second line options for these patients? So the route that you're going to take for second line treatment options, it just depends on what is given first line. So if they're given IO in the first line, you're not going to give an IO in the second line. If they got a TKI in the first line, you're going to pick a different TKI. And that will include um, some of the category one agents such as cabozantinib or exitinib in the single agent setting. Um, there's also the combination of lymvatinib with everolimus. And everolimus is an mTOR inhibitor. And remember, this can cause stomatitis, hyperglycemia, and hyperlipidemia. Um, I did want to mention that on our boards, I was a little bit surprised that there were some questions still asking about single agent TKI in the first line setting. And as I mentioned, that's not completely unreasonable for favorable risk, but um, I expect that the questions will reflect more of what we're describing now. So IO TKI for favorable risk and then for poor intermediate, either ipinevo or IO TKI as options. And then your second line agent will depend on what you use first line. Definitely. It's just like playing chess. So what are the main side effects of VEGF TKIs that we need to remember and commit for the boards? So all of the VEGF TKIs, so your cabozantinib, exitinib, um, those cause hypertension. So we ask patients to monitor blood pressure, fatigue, can cause diarrhea, can cause stomatitis, nausea, hand foot syndrome, um, can cause elevated LFTs, can co cause thyroid dysfunction, cytopenias, cardiotoxicity. So they cause a lot, they can cause a lot of a variety of symptoms and that is um, something that's important to know when you're counseling patients on these drugs. Definitely. They're multi-kinase inhibitors, so they hit multiple targets. And so I remember them causing multiple side effects just because it affects so many things in our body. That's an awesome review on RCC, both local and metastatic. So what are our key points for treating kidney cancer? So for stage one to three localized disease, remember surgery in the form of partial um, or nephrectomy is going to be the mainstay of treatment. Um, if the tumor is really small, like less than 30 centimeters, you can consider um, an ablative technique. Um, now there is a role for the high risk stage twos and stage threes to consider adjuvant pembrolizumab. Again, we'll see if this will be reflected on the boards, but it will definitely be coming up in the years to come. Make sure you know the risk stratification indexes. So performance status, LDH, neutrophil, platelet, high calcium, low hemoglobin. And then for the favorable, remember IOTKI, if you have a favorable risk patients with none of these risk factors, do not pick ipinevo as the answer choice. And then for the intermediate and poor risk, you can pick ipinevo or IOTKI. I doubt they'll give you both as an answer choice. Great. So as always, guys, thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in every week. Good luck with studying for boards. If start making your plans, start thinking when you're going to get serious and how, you know, how you're going to break down studying for both heme and Anker, one or the other. So please feel free to reach out to us with corrections, comments, or topics you guys want covered on our Instagram to Ankdocs. Thanks.
and see you next week.